time. It's time. So get your popcorn ready. It will be political. Political. It will be biblical. Biblical. We must stay vigilant. We must remain watchful. So sit back and put your feet up because you're about to learn to discern the truth. Welcome to the Watchmen. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Watchmen Podcast. My name is Casey. It's so good to be back with you guys today. Today is Monday, February 19th, 2024. Uh, I've got a very special guest uh, with me today, a fellow Jan Sixer. I uh, wanted you guys to hear her story, but before we get into that, I just want to remind everybody to please like, share, and subscribe. It helps get the message out there. It helps me out. It helps the podcast grow, and also where to find me and support the podcast, as well as where to support my guest will be in the description box below and any information like that. I want to remind everybody, um, thank you to those of you that have already given towards Liberty's light. That information will also be in the description box below. If you not know what Liberty's light is, it's a prison reform group that I have started uh, organization to try to help these men humanity behind the bars because um, I know my guests will have some things to say about that as well, but but the things that, that we see and that the things that have gone on in prison, you know, it's just, it's awful. And, uh, you know, there's got to be something that can be done about that. Um, also, just a couple of past interviews I've got. I had a couple out this past week. Go check those out. Uh, they're really good, good information. Uh, but without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to um, Felicia Canova. Felicia, how are you doing today? Did I say your last name right? Yeah, yeah, you did. I'm doing okay. I'm still... Still hanging in, still kicking. So Felicia, tell us a little bit about, uh, tell everybody a little bit about your personal life, you know, kind of who you are, your background, even before anything with that happened with January 6th. Um, well, I'm, I guess I, I think the main point is being like a, I'm a single mom. Mm -hmm. I homeschool, I have two kids. I have a 13 year old and a two year old. Um, I homeschool them. I run a little homestead. Um, I don't know, I guess about me is I just like usually keep to myself. I work in, uh, animal hospitals, clinics, um, ER, ICU medicine. Well, I used to, I don't currently do to events related. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of. So, so point is you're into holistic things. You, you know, you, like you said, you keep to yourself, you weren't much of a you're kind of a, um, what do you call it? Introvert, introverted person. And, uh, anyways, what I want people to understand is, is that I heard about, uh, Felicia's story on Twitter from other friends and other J sixers that had shared it. And I had seen that she had been, um, she had been sentenced to prison time. Uh, she has two children. Um, one is two years old. Is that correct? And the other one is like 13. And, they're going to take a single mother who supports her family from her children and send, send her away for 45 days when they gave her three more months after that, I think home confinement. And she's already been on, how long were you already on home confinement? Um, about a year. So you, so you were on home confinement. Was that during your pregnancy? Yeah. The entirety of my pregnancy. Um, I was arrested at the very beginning of it. And then, was in prison for a bit. And then when finally released from prison at that time was sent directly home on ankle monitor home confinement for the um, entire rest of the pregnancy. So it was about, about a year almost in total, but that so won't count towards my additional three months after I go back to prison. So let's just go back a little bit before. So what happened? You, you went to DC, correct? For on, for January 6th. Okay. What did you see like that day? What, what was January 6th to you? Um, it was mind blowing. I'm from a small town. I don't like to go into the city much, um, but I had been doing a bit of traveling for the first time in my life prior to that. Still in rural places. So DC was like a big, like the first main city I had ever really been to. So on that aspect, it was mind-blowing because the amount of people there was insane. And the diversity of people there was also insane. There was there was um, people that had come from different countries that were ran by dictatorship. And they, they were like heeding warnings to people. Um, there was just all sorts of cultures just there unifying of this one common 
thing, which was like mind blowing to me because um, I guess in my mind, personally, I had like segregated what I thought would be there. And so to actually get there and just be immersed and like accepted and like witness all of this unification, it was like mind blowing to me. Like it was so crazy. Um, it was slightly nerve wracking due to the quantity of people, but then amazing in that aspect of it. So it was, it was a lot of different feelings that day. Um, yeah. And then seeing what had unfolded, the aftermath feelings was just like, like mind blowing. Like that was crazy. That was like a revolution. Like we hope that they heard the people saying like, we are tired of you, like using us and like using us as your pawns. Like you're supposed to work for us and they just use and abuse and enslave us. And people were very tired of it and they stood up for that. And then they got hunted down <laughs> for it. So why did you go to DC in the first place? What made you want to go to DC? Um, well, like I had mentioned before, I was traveling. So it was like kind of an excuse to continue that. Um, and then also I had just lost everything due to a very severe accident. So I felt a sense of purpose, like, Hey, like America is being asked to show up there on this day. Like, like I can do that. Like I should be there. I'm young, like able, like, um, let's go, Let, let's go support, let's go be there. Um, I have some medical training. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to bring my med kit. Like we're going to see, like I had just had this like very, um, I don't know, sense that something may happen from seeing all the news and like stuff in standby. I don't really watch it, but I just had seen, I remember seeing video clips just pop up randomly on the internet of like business owners being stomped to death outside of their business and like all of this, like crazy, crazy stuff, like officers um, being burnt alive inside of police stations, like that were boarded shut. So like that was kind of in my head. And I was like, you know what? Like if I can be there and help somebody or like save someone's life, if shit goes wrong, like I'm going to do that. Um, so there was, there was a lot of factors to it. Those were like the two main ones. And along with wanting to address like grievances, like this is bullshit that like we're taxed for our food, we're taxed for our cars, we're taxed on the money we make, we're taxed on the roads we drive on, we're taxed on our, we have to pay additional taxes. Like it's all for these people that send it elsewhere and make no improvements in our life. Like, I don't want to pay you. Like you don't do anything for me. Like I do not want you. And I think a lot of people feel that, but they just do nothing but complain about it. And I am not that type of person. If I see something wrong, I want to fix it. And I want to physically do something about it. Like if something's broken, if there's a piece of trash on the ground, I'm not just going to be like, oh, that's filthy. I'm going to pick it up. So that's kind of my, a bit of my mindset on it. So did you actually go, so you were at the Trump rally? Um, Like previous ones or the one there? The one there. Oh, well, to me, like the whole thing was like a big thing. I didn't know, I didn't research it mm -hmm. and I didn't know about anything going on, who was going to be there. Um, so I was just kind of like wandering around. I see. So, so you, did you go to the ellipse, like where Trump was? That's what I was just asking that. Cause that's what, like the reason that we even went to DC, the people on here, pro they all heard my story. They're probably sick of hearing it, but I'll tell you a little, when we went to DC, it was because president, we knew, you know, we watched all through 2020, we watched all of the information as far as they were going to try to, they brought this virus on us. I mean, I, we, if you had a brain, you knew immediately, this is crazy. There's no way this can be a real thing. And then you hear president Trump saying again and again, they're going to start with this mail-in ballot thing. And the reason they're doing this is so that they can cheat because they knew they had no chance to win the election yeah. outside of cheating. And, and those of us that have even paid attention, I'm sure you're one of them that you realize like, there's no way this guy ran his total campaign from the basement and somehow got the most presidential votes in the history of yeah. our, of our I country. I think that's why he was asking people to show up too, is saying like, Hey, if you, if you voted for me and like you support me, like, can you show up that day and support? So they not only, they can't lie about the votes, they see the votes. Right. And so that, so what I'm saying is, so then when he said they're going to have a stop the steal vote, um, not a vote. Uh, rally we we went to we went and so we got there on the fifth we went up and around uh there was like some kind of stuff that went on the day before 
closer towards the White House. I can't remember if it was called Freedom Square or something like that. Yeah. But uh, and it was raining, so it was nasty. We went back that night. We got up the next morning. We went to the rally. Look, we had no idea there was going to be anything going on at the Capitol. Period. No all we did. knew, all no we did. knew what was that you know there was a rally that morning and we were there for the rally and when we walked up there the amount of people that were there I mean, it was a sea of people that was just so vast and like you're saying there was so that i tell everybody this there was men women children black white hispanic korean chinese vietnamese mm-hmm. i mean all these and other not countries. just there wasn't just like a little sprinkle of all those other like genders and right. races and it cultures was a lot. it was extensive like that's, that's extensive right. amounts of everyone that's right. And so then on top of that, then going and, you know, we went from one side of that group of people all the way to the other and not once was there pushing, not once was there shoving. There was no, you know, people yelling at each other. It was just, everybody was excited, happy. So happy. The atmosphere was great. The music was great. It was freezing cold that day. I will say mm-hmm. that it was like, and it was windy. So that made it even worse. So when we went up, we decided, I didn't realize at first but we re- we finally realized you could get up to the stage. So we waited. We knew we were going to be standing there anyways. And I'm like, well, we went to D.C. We came all the way to D.C. to see President Trump speak. So we were like, we want to go as close to the stage as we can. So we waited. You had to wait through this whole line. And then you go through Secret Service. And then after you go through Secret Service, you could go in to that fenced-in area where President Trump actually spoke. And so we waited you know, all I didn't, my dad was like, come on, it's cold. Let's go. And I'm like, dad, we came here. I want to see, I love to see president Trump dance. I want to see him dance the YMCA. So we were, we were down there like the whole entire time. That's what I meant when I was just asking you, did you go for that, for that particular rally? No, I want, no, I didn't know. I know that there was like something going on. Um, and I knew that he was speaking. I did want to see him speak, but I didn't know. I don't know the names of places there. I had never been there before. Okay. Um, So I did want to see him speak, but didn't know when, how. So what made us even go down to the Capitol was about 15 to 20 minutes into president Trump's speech. He said, after this, we're all going to go down to the Capitol. I, and he even said, and if you watch the Jan six timeline documentary, uh, that was made by Dave Summerall, uh, you see in there where president Trump said now, and I'm going to come with you. He said, and I'm going to come with you. And we were like, well, president Trump's going to go down there. Like, why would we not go down there after this? This is going to be great. You know, we're all going to stand outside and protest. I mean, I've been to DC since I was a child, many a times. My dad, um, funny enough, I know you mentioned that you were Jewish, but uh, we used to go to DC for years when I was a kid. My dad was heavily involved with the nation of Israel and he would go lobby uh, for the nation of Israel. So I had been to the Capitol since I was like 10 years old. And they brought that up in court. You know, it's like, oh, don't you realize? But back then, you know, you didn't have, you didn't go through all the security because it was pre 9-11, you know? So there was no, there was no security. Used to, you could just walk in. It was nothing like when you were 10 years old in in court because I said that I've been going there for years. So I should know. And I'm like, like, wow, they really, they really do try. Oh, they, they, we had a picture on one of our, uh, one of the guys we were with took a picture the day after because we went out and around, everything was closed. There was nowhere to go. And we were there till Friday. We flew up. So we had nothing else to do. We went out and around and we drove by the Capitol. We noticed they had put up this big fence all the way. I don't know if you saw that, but they put up a fence all the way around the whole Capitol the day after. And they put a National Guard member. How did they every, get all that fencing and everything so fast? It would make you wonder, doesn't it? And you know what they judge? I mean, what the prosecutor tried to say that we were doing a victory lap that day to say, ah, oh, look what we did. And I was like, this is the most, um, they were pulling stuff out of, you know, where it's like, no, that isn't even my dad's they? 70. My dad's a yeah. 73 at the time was 73 years old. He's a former, he went to the Vietnam war. He volunteered for the Vietnam war. He's a 40 year pastor, as well as. He also has a purple heart and this is who the, that, that they attacked and said insurrected the Capitol. The other guy we were with, he can't yeah. walk maybe a hundred yards without having to stop because he's got a bad knee. He's 73. It's like, and he's overweight and all this. It's like, dude, what? <laughs> we're not militia. So anyway, so I just wondered, and what, like, did you stay for the whole Trump speech or you didn't stay for the whole Trump speech? No. So I was walking around and then I ended up, I don't know. And there's, was your cell phone service affected that terrible? Day? Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. You couldn't call yeah. or nothing. So, and that's something that more I talk to people, the more I understand, because I thought it was just mine, but I would try and Google like where it's at, what's happening, um, call out anything. And the phone was not working at all. No one's was. And that's something people don't talk about either. Um, and so where I was at and the people that I had befriended that day, 
was not near that. They're like, let's go walk over here. And I'm like, okay. And so like, by the time someone was like, oh, Trump speaking, we were far away. And I was like, oh man, like, I kind of want to go see it. But then also at the same time, like I was tired and kind of didn't, I didn't care that much. I knew it would be televised. Right. So I was just like, oh, like, all right. I'm not, not really big. Um, like when you're a single mom, like I, I just had really been focused the entirety of my life on surviving. So I never really got deep into politics. Like, I don't know. So I, I was just kind of like, it would have been cool. But I, the fact that I didn't, I was like, oh, that sucks. But right, wasn't. So, well, when we went down to, so this is my view. When I got down, after we waited, there were, they wouldn't let you take your bag inside that area that I was telling you that we had to wait through. So the, one of the guys we were with, he had a backpack, but he only had like some waters in it, I think. And not nothing important. Well, people were sticking. This is how much people trusted that people there there was a bag mound probably six six seven feet tall from people's bags where they were just leaving them there and figured well they'll get them when they come out so when we got out for whatever reason his bag was one of the ones that was missing and so we were like oh my gosh so we looked around for another like 20 to 30 minutes um trying to find his bag and then he finally just said heck with it you know there were other bags that looked the same it was could have been an accident but even if they took his bag they didn't get anything except for some water you know yeah so we walked down there it was like by the time we got all the way down to Capitol Hill, I mean, it took probably a half hour or more to walk all the way down there. It's from, far, yeah. It's a long walk, and there was a lot of people, so it, you can't just bulldoze your way or you I run. I wish, I wish there was a way to put in perspective how many people were there. Oh, I know, hundreds of thousands at like, least. I would say, like, I don't more. Like, there was so much. There was, I would say, like half a million people there, and you can say that number, but you can't phys- physically grasp it. And that was something too that that came up is like, Oh, you were here. And I, I'm like, it's not physically possible to move when there are hundreds of thousands of people like pushing you or going one direction. Like you, there is no choice. And right. I, like, yeah, that's, that's a part two. So, so by the time we got down there, it was mass chaos. Like when we got down there, everybody was already on the Capitol grounds. That was like after two fifteen or something. I don't remember the exact timestamp, but we walked unimpeded. There was no fencing. There was no fences. I didn't see any of that. By the time I got up there, it was after two o'clock, like I said. So everybody was just standing around on Capitol grounds, talking. Some people were singing. My dad always says there was a preacher on every corner, but there really was. I mean, yeah. there was people with megaphones talking all this stuff. Out. And uh, I mean, all everything you could imagine, people singing hymns, singing God bless America. And uh so by the time we got up there, we saw, I mean, we did see people climbing scaffold and stuff like that. I, I didn't do that. I, I didn't know anything about any of that. I did see some of that, but we walked, we walked right around on the side. So we went like on the West side, we walked all the way up and around up the steps and we just stood up there for a while looking out. It was just the biggest sea of people. And it was from what I, my opinion at the time was I was encouraged that this many people came and were like, you know, finally in this country, we're going to, we're willing to not physically do something to anybody, but it was like, you know, we're, we're sick and tired of you guys just stole our election. This is crazy. You know, we have the greatest president in the world in the white house and you want to take him out because you're offended by his tweets and all the other things. So we stood up there for a while. President Trump never showed up, ended up, I had to go to the bathroom. It was freezing cold and I had to use a restroom and there was no bathrooms out and around. There was back by where the ellipse was. So there was an open door up there and I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but I'm just trying to (laughs) Get yeah, you the up. doors were open. I wide I open the doors, so, and there was police officers there. Gave them fist it. bumps. Said, that's "Love it. you guys. Do you need help with anything?" Like, that's right, and that's what I witnessed as well. Thank you. So that was the kind of stuff I was wanting. So, what did you see when you went up to the Capitol grounds? What was it like for you? Um. Well, I was there for the chaos. Okay, I was at the front of the chaos. Um, I was behind Ray Epps person. That's a person of interest mm-hmm. still. I'm slightly curious about him. Yeah. Um, I was behind him, um, walked up, was, I was kind of entrapped because I don't, I'm very claustrophobic. So I kind of like get to like a safe spot and that safe spot was at the front. So once I had gotten to the front and I was like, okay, like I can breathe, la la la. There was a line of police. I like talked to her, the police, the direct lady in front of me was having a panic attack, the police officer. I remember talking to her. I remember there being a grandma to my right, like literal, like 80 year old grandma to my right. 
Um, and she was chilling, having a great time. Uh, the police officer was freaking out. And I said, are you guys like prepared? Like, have you like done any training for this? Like where are more police officers? And she's like, they won't send us any. We've already called. We've never been trained for this. We don't have any gear for this. And she was like losing. I was like, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to hurt you. We're not here to hurt you. Like, it's just people. And they're singing, like having, like no one cared, but there was like, it was such a mass amount of people. Like you couldn't really move. Um, and then after they started, they never gave a message to disperse, but after they started throwing like gas and flash bombs and stuff that really irritated the crowd and the crowd got pissed. So after they started throwing grenades and flash bombs and gassing, the crowd started pushing and I like was physically entrapped in a bit of it that um, a police officer and my little brother helped me get me out because I was being crushed to death, actually. Um, and I remember the police officer like looking at him to the point where I couldn't breathe or scream because my lungs were being collapsed between people and a gate. And um, I remember him screaming to his friends like she's she's like, you're killing her. Stop. And him and another police officer, my brother, like trying to pull me out and like push me into the crowd. Um and then once it, once they kind of, there was like a slight break and then we like went to the back, like went through the crowd, pushed everyone out of the way, got to the back of it and was like, what the, like, that was like, what the fuck just happened? Excuse my language. Like what just happened? Like they went from singing happy la 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 to like being gassed and like explosives kind of being thrown at us. Like it was mm -hmm. crazy. Like just to see that switch happen so fast. Um, so we're at the back of the whole, like, here's like the Capitol and the steps and then like all that sea of people. We got to the very end of that sea where the grass is like out there. And we're like, I was just laying on the grass, like breathing. I was like, that was insane. And then everyone's like going up the stairs, doing all the stuff. Um, so the people were like, do you want to go? Like, do you want to go up the stairs and stuff? And I was like, well, yeah, if there's not a lot of people, like everything calmed back down, like it was fine, like over. And I was like, that was crazy. We went up the stairs um everyone was just like single file walking into the capitol there was no like i didn't see any of the like fighting back and forth or like the original breach of the capitol i didn't see any of that um by the time i got up there everyone was just freely walking there were police officers around like no one was bothering them um there was one standing with like i don't know if it was um it looked like an ar but it could have just been like pellets or something i don't know but he was just chilling there standing with his ar and i was like hey like how are you like Give him a fist bump, um, walked immediately inside the Capitol, looked to my left, and there's a line of police officers. I have video of this that I walk right up to him. I was like, hey, how are you guys doing? Like, is there anything I can help you with? Like, um, gave them a fist bump, like, turn around, like, I love you guys. Like, which way, like, which way do we go? And he's like, oh, like, head back down that way. You guys aren't allowed to go this way. And I was like, okay, turn around, just walk the other way. Um, and even upon inside, after shots were fired, um, then they said like, okay, you guys have to step out. Like it's time for you to leave. And we're like, okay, like no worries. Like, thank you. Like, and then we're like telling everyone like, we got to leave, like shots fired. Like everyone get out and people are turning around and leaving. And then we couldn't get out. Like once we were already out of the Capitol on those steps, like there was people physically not letting anybody leave. Like we sat there for an hour or two waiting for a single step to go down, like just one step. And nothing like they weren't letting anybody out. I don't know who wasn't, but it was not moving at all. Nothing. And everyone there, there was like old ladies. There was like pregnant ladies. There was like just people like children. There was a lot of people like really upset. Like I'm about to pee my pants that they weren't like moving, like people yelling, like trying to shove, like walk, like, what are you doing? And you'd see like random people just like stopping people from moving, like making um like with their arms, like not letting anybody go. Um, we eventually got out went back to our hotel was like mind blown. Like that was crazy. Like just unsure. Like that was wild. Like crazy that happened. La la turn on the news and it's like insurrection. And it's like a totally different vibe than like what was experienced there. And we're just like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. And they already had like, it, like people were still at the Capitol and all of these news things already had images already had stories already were actively like showing it. And I was like, how the fuck did they even, I was like, I didn't even know this. And I physically was just there. Like I just left. Like, how do they already have all of this stuff? Like, I didn't know that happened. Like, I don't think that's what went down. 
but it was already everywhere, like not just one news station, but like everywhere. Um, And then we didn't stay after that. We went home and it was a crazy ride home. I remember like, it was, I don't know, it was crazy. Like as soon as I remember I went to a gas station and I told the gentleman, he's like, oh, what brings you into town? I was like, oh, it's here. And he's like, oh, you did that. And he hid me in his store bathroom when another person was coming in the store to buy something. Like, he's like, you were part of this. He's like, oh, no, 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 like, you can't be here. You can't be here. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, and I was like, I just need to use your restroom. Like, I'll buy this stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. And he's like, and he's like, fine, you can use the restroom. Then you have to leave. And I was like, okay. And I remember hiding in the restroom. He said, I'll tell you when it's safe to come out. I remember hiding in the restroom while another person came in, bought their stuff and left. And then he knocked on the door and he's like, okay, you can come out. Like, don't like, don't tell anybody you were a part of that. Like you need to like lay low. And I was like, what are you taught? Like just mind blown. Um, and drove home and that like maintained that, that whole vibe maintained the whole time. And it's still like, people will be like, still like, don't, don't mention anything about that. Like a very, I don't know what the word is, but. So, so you got home and then how long was it before they came and gave you a visit? I guess you could put it that yeah, way. It was, yeah. Such, it was very memorable visit. Um, about a month. Wow. And tell yeah. everybody what that, what you experienced then, because this is what I want people to understand what it's psychologically, what it's like. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to know that that entire month and way beyond, they were surveillancing me. They knew me. They knew everything about me. They had phones tapped, like where I lived, monitored excessively with pictures. Like, like they knew who I was prior to showing up at my door. That's the part that gets me irregardless of all of their surveillance coming back uneventful, like the entire, I saw it in discovery, every one of it was uneventful. They still (laughs) did a like at dawn raid. Um, There was, I don't know, at least 20 FBI agents, no local sheriffs or police. It was all FBI that they pulled from surrounding areas to do this. Um, They blocked off the entirety of my rural street. They surrounded my house. They ordered me out. Uh, they put me, handcuffed me and put me in the back of their vehicle. Didn't tell me what was going on, what I was being arrested for, where I was going, nothing. Um, and then continued to raid the entirety of my house, flipping it upside down for it. And then took me back to their FBI place, um, tried to interrogate me. I declined answering any questions. Um, and then at that point, they transported me multiple cities over to a federal prison where I was processed and placed for almost two weeks um, in solitary confinement where I wasn't able to, I was never able to leave the cell outside of my video court hearings, which I had three, Um, not allowed to shower, not allowed to have a phone call, like not allowed a single thing, just sat in a cell for that entire time, um, which I think has been slightly different for some people, but a lot of the people arrested for January 6th, I think were in solitary confinement. Um, they didn't know, even the jail um, people that work there didn't know why I was there. Um, they just had a list of restrictions they said that was sent down from the person that runs the prison to follow, which were in excess to any conditions they'd ever done on a person in that facility. Wow. So then they let, they were finally released you. You said to go home. When, when was that? Yeah, that was a big argument. Um, so they finally released me probably. It was at the end of February. I remember because I, I had my two-year-old is artificial insemination. So I had planned for him for many years and saved up and had the procedure for him immediately before arrest and then found out I was pregnant in prison and then, or released and found out. So that's how you like, remember that time frame. So at the very, very beginning of finding out I was pregnant with my now two-year-old. So once they finally released you, what was it like, you know, what did they, did they put a ankle monitor on you? Did you, were you in home, were you confined to your home or how did that work out? 
Yeah. So I was um, released, transferred, was transferred from whatever federal prison I was staying at to a local jail through their transport. And then part of that local jail is pretrial. So I was taken from the cell to the pretrial. They fitted me with an ankle monitor and then escorted me directly home. Um, No one that knew me knew where I was being held at or had heard from me or anything. So when I arrived home, there was already news stations parked outside of my house. So it was very traumatic because while I was in prison, I did not know I've never been arrested, never been to jail or prison before. So I was unsure. I just knew that that I was there and I went to my court hearings and the judge listed out, said, you're looking at 36 years. So in my mind, no one knew where I went. No one had heard from me. And I was going to be locked in that cell alone for 36 years. And that is where my mindset was that I was never going to see my child again, my older child. All of my family is older. Um, so all of them would be dead and gone when I got out, um, that I would have my baby in prison. And the thing that I have dreamt for for over a decade and saved up for for many years would be taken away. So that was my mindset. So I finally get out. And to see media there, like, bombarding me at my house was very um, unsettling. I remember closing all the blinds and, like, trying to seal all the, like, spots in it from them. Um, I wasn't allowed to leave the house with that ankle monitor. There's, like, a very strict perimeter. They come out and do a surveillance of your property and then map their ankle monitor to, like, a GPS location. So if you step a single foot or two outside of where they have authorized a perimeter, um, they very clearly told me if you break this or this alarms off, you will be taken back to prison and you will not get out. So that having that in my mind was very unsettling because it would buzz. The entirety of my pregnancy would buzz if it had a poor signal and I live in the middle of nowhere. So signal out here is never the best. Um, Or if it was like too close to the edge or like something, it would just alarm and buzz um, on my ankle. So that was, that was, the entire year ish after getting out of prison. Hmm. Tell, tell me this, when you were in prison, what did you experience as far as the food there? How was that? Was that? I don't think, I think maybe it was just me, but prior to physically personally experiencing it, I just assumed like, of course, prison has bad food. It's prison. Of course, it's not fun to be there. It's prison. Um, the cell I was in, I don't know if it it had mold in it and it was freshly painted. So I remember getting in there, the walls still being tacky and it, almost like feeling like I, was, I have asthma. So almost feeling like I was asphyxiating from the fumes of it and having a migraine the entirety every single day since I was there. Um, the food, that was great. Yeah, since I was in my one secluded area, I always got fed last. So the food was always cold. The portions were so small. I remember I was starving, like so hungry. And this food, like I would rather, I would rather, the list of things I would rather eat than that food again is extensive. And I, I'll eat, like I, food is a privilege. Like um, I, I eat because it's nutrition for your body, not because it tastes good. Like I'm not like that picky in the least. I can be, but uh, I rinsed vegetables in the toilet and sink water to get mold off of them because I was so hungry that I had to eat them. Um, the food, there's a lot of stuff that's like honestly un- unidentifiable, but you don't. But you, don't but you just to correct you, you said you rinsed them to get mold off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because I was so hungry. So they feed you like, I don't know, it's like 4 p.m. and then like 4 or 5 a.m. So you don't eat for like that and you don't sleep. <laughs> you don't sleep when you're in prison. Let me get that straight to you. There's a lot that goes on there. You're not just sitting in a cell with nothing but your thoughts for every minute, every second of the day. You do not realize how long a day is until people look at their phones. Like there's just nothing. There's no books. There's no pencils. There's no papers. There's no music. There's no people like talking to you. There's no sunshine outside. There's no birds chirping. It is a dark, cold smelly cell that you sit completely alone with nothing to do for the entirety of time while so you when the food comes that's like the most um the best part of the day um 
but the food, like there's a lot of it that's unidentifiable, but you just eat it. I remember eating it and puking it up and like holding my mouth shut. So I wouldn't actually spit it out so I could re-swallow it. But it's like, it's horrid. The doors slamming at every hour. The lights are always on. There's a light on in your cell at all times. So it's never dark, completely dark. It's like a dim light, even at nighttime. Um, the doors slamming excessively or like people shouting, hollering, making animal noises. So you don't sleep. So the entirety of this time, you never sleep. There's no, there's never more than 10 minutes at most of any sort of silence kind of, but it's just, I don't know. It's hard. To, it's really hard to explain, but the mental torture that it is, is incomparable. Um, the treatment with the food, and the environment, like all of those things together, along with your mental demons, like it's insane. It's insane. And a lot of people there, you assume people are there because they should be. No, no. There are a lot of people there that are like systemically trapped there that should not be there. Um, I saw like an unproportionate amount of Native Americans that would do nothing but have the most severe sentences. And they weren't even like aware of the disproportionate like factors of it they were just like yeah like my dad did it my grandpa did it like everyone's been in here like i'll just be in here for a few years and like i'll probably come back like it's it's crazy so catch us up so now we're after all that you got to go back home even though you were on home confinement so you were recently sentenced tell tell them what your sentence was again yeah. So well, I'll, I'll also mention like after I gave birth, so I was approved finally at seven or eight months to work from the confinement. I was allotted if pre-planned up to two weeks could work. So I attempted to find many a jobs at seven, eight months pregnant with an ankle monitor on my ankle. And that was not an easy task, especially with your face being plastered on all news agencies and being banned off of every social media app, trading app, money app like everything so go, go through those though tell them specifically where well, you mentioned it to me earlier but tell yeah, them which so so like stripe paypal venmo cash app weeble robin hood fidelity instagram facebook um twitter like every single one of them repeatedly i was banned from um paypal was really upset because initially i had a paypal account and um had gotten help for a couple hundred dollars when I was pregnant at home and they took that money. They didn't give it back. <laughs> so that's, wow. it was, um, and finally I, I think I'm on my like sixth Instagram account. Um, it's, but it was not, people are like, learn to day trade at home. And I was like, okay, can't because I'm banned on all of the apps, uh, still to this day. So wow, like I'm trying to make a way from, nothing but it's the curveballs that are thrown are excessive and, and, and explain to people how hard it is now so you lost your job based on your sentence be so yeah so i finally did go back to work so after i gave birth um i was at home for a little bit and then i was like okay i need i need to work um i did go back to work i got hired on at multiple emergency animal hospitals and i quickly i that's where my experience has been since i was very little um, I quickly moved up in these places, um, was lead ICU technician, like prioritized that, always kept my work life, personal life separate. Um, I left to DC, I think it was January. I think I, did, I had to leave at November and plead guilty. I had to go in January, I think it was, to be sentenced. And they allowed me to self-surrender um, instead of taking me from the courthouse, which was also unknown at that time. So I come back, show up for my work shift, and am immediately terminated from both of them. So after having maxed out the entirety of all my credit cards, and my credit is bad, bad, bad now, because at the beginning of this, I'd worked the entirety of my life to make something for me and my children. And then throughout this experience has diminished everything. Um, so having to take time off, afford and plan to, it's mandated. I had to go to DC. They don't care if you like can't afford food or your electric or you pass due or you have no funds. Like you have to be there. Um, so I had to go for my 
and multiple times you you aren't allowed to view discovery uh, remotely. So for attorney meetings and stuff, you have to be with them. So it's mm -hmm. like the whole, for the last three years, like, um, have had to deal with this ex excessively. Um, went to DC, came back, was fired. Um, that's the most recent update from both of my jobs. So now I have my house, my homestead, my children, um, that are all just up in the air because for this last month and a half, two months, I've been now freshly unemployed. Whenever before I was working at two ERs over full-time, I'd work, um, I found a job in a different city. So I'd drive two hours to that city. I'd work 12, 13, 14 hours overnight. And then I would drive back in the morning, come home, um, take care of homestead chores, homeschool my oldest son, like meal prep for the kids and then do it again. And I was doing that excessively for the last year and a half. Wow. Um, so now that's, now that it's gone, but I simultaneously have to still plan for a place for my children to go while I'm sentenced back to prison. And while I will be on additional home confinement. It's so sad and it's so awful. And that's why I wanted to have her on because I want you people to see like they, they have no, you know, they could care less about her as a single mother with a family, with a two-year-old. It's more important for them to put her in prison for 45 days. Looking back, Felicia, do you think, you know, I've heard a lot of things and I don't know if it's true or not true, but it's interesting that there is a lot of stuff. Do you think there was like crisis actors at all that day that were involved in this? There is no way that this was not planned. Not so by, not by people there because I was next to some of the main groups of people that are tried and like said to have planned this. There's no, there's, that's not true for first, firsthand experience. Not fucking true. Mm -hmm. um, the lack of police presence, their fences they had up were like grass fences, like complete bullshit. Yeah, I think their words are snow fencing. I found out about that too in trial, but I had never even heard what snow fencing is. Cause I lived in Florida my whole life. We didn't yeah. have snow. Yeah. So there was no legit protection or fencing or anything. Um, and then upon having talking to the police officers that day, you come to find out that they say there was chatter of pre-planning of this happening. Right. Have you heard that? That the mm -hmm. FBI and all of them said that, no, this is planned out. These groups did this. The police didn't know that because I spoke to them that day. They had no fucking clue. They wanted backup or refused it. Like you would have thought if the chatter of this being the most violent day or whatever the heck they said was accurate, they would have pre-planned a little bit better. If they knew and they said they did, the amount of people that were going to be there that day, like, I don't even care if it's bike cops, but like something, there was nothing. Mm -hmm. So like, I think it was planned not by the people of America, but by someone else, because those things are unprecedented. Like that would have never happened independently. What do you think about that? I've even heard too. Some, some people say that, Ash, did you believe that Ashley Babbitt was actually shot? Because I've seen stuff. It'll blow your mind with some of the things that you see. And it's like, I don't know who to believe. I mean, I yeah, do. Yeah. And sure. it does. It's crazy. I think she was shot. I think she was um, put in the wrong place. So uh, this, and this part makes me very, my heart very sad. She was behind me walking in the steps on the way in the Capitol. And wow. in my discovery video is a person, a video that the person in front of me took panning around and it stops at her. And she says, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And she's screaming wow. it like with passion heading in there. And I've watched that video of these people, um, John Sullivan, I think his name is maybe, and that mm -hmm. whole group. And mm -hmm. they feed her into a specific spot. She is very passionate. And she like she and me could have been the same fucking person because when you're in there and you are passionate, you're like, no, like this is our country, like, like that sort of thing. Like it was like everyone thought it was like a revolution. Like these politicians are in these spots and they think they're untouchable and they're doing such horrible things to everyone in this country. Like they were just like, we're tired of it. Like you're fired. Right. Like we have the right to replace you. You're not doing your purpose. Like you lie to us, you cheat, you steal, you kill people like goodbye, like new ones, please. Like let's revote. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so, always say, I always say we have to start from scratch. They're all, yes, they're all. Yeah, and I think a lot of people none. completely agree with that. It's two heads to the same snake. That's right. Um, 
So her passion and how just she gave blood for this country. She was a veteran. Like mm-hmm. her passion of like, I fucking fought for this. And you guys are like being treasonous right now. So she was so passionate. And to like see that video and it replays in my head very vividly of her passionately saying like, I would die on my knees or I would live on my feet. I don't fight on my, I don't know what the saying is. I can't remember, but it's like, I'd rather. Fight on my feet than die on my knees is the way you said yes. it the first time. And, and yeah. I said it before, but I have. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. About it's, all right. it's all right. That's all right. That's all right. From seeing that and then watching the video of her being specifically with that passion led, like they led her to that direct spot and then up. And like her entire, um, that's, post- that's, the, that's the thing that seems so weird. And that isn't that guy, aren't those guys, a lot of them, weren't they Antifa? Yeah. And so they see this very passionate, like person and they're like, yeah, we know where to go. And she's like, send me like, where are we going? Like she's game. She's like, all right, like, where are we going? They're like, right here. You lead here, help her up immediately up. And you see that person with a gun, like looking and they're like her and he shoots her. And then after she is shot that after after shooting procedures that had happened and how she was evacuated out of there and everything that happened afterwards and the police surrounding her, because there was a bunch of police right there. And they didn't do anything. Didn't do a fucking thing. Yeah. Her mom showed up at my sentencing. There was only like, there was no one showed up. Um, And I don't know if that was good or bad, but no one showed up. Um, that, that that's the heartbreaking thing not to interrupt you but that's the heartbreaking thing about a lot of these j6 trials it's right across the street from the capitol none of the congressmen come over and support i mean there should be a lot of americans in there supporting these people that are suffering i mean i just know family after family very similar story that you have and it's like yeah you know we're just we're just people we're not celebrities we're not you know there was like a a, a reporter person there mm-hmm. and then i i remember looking behind me and i saw i didn't quite recognize her immediately but then at the end, I whispered to my attorney, I said, is that Ashley Babbitt's mom? And he said, yes. And I was like, holy shit. Because I sent, I ensured that she got that video of Ashley. Because I was like, this is insane. And I ensured that she got that. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know why she chose to be there for me. But that was kind of like, I do think. And her poor, her mom is torn. Yeah. Like, that's why, that's my definitive, like, she's dead. Because a mother's, a scorned mother, like, you don't mess, like, there's a reason that there's mama bears that there's like mom, they use moms as being like very powerful forces because right. the bond between mother and their children is not of this world. Mm-hmm. So like to see her dismay and scorn and determination to like get to the fucking bottom, like, yeah. Oh man, Felicia, I'm just, like I told you a hundred times already, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you have to go through this. Let everybody know where they can go and support you during this time. And and I encourage anybody that can or has the means to do it, um, to, like I said a hundred times, she's a single mom with two children who is facing, you know, time in prison and time away from her two-year-old. And I'm sure that 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 effect of, like she said, you know, she has such a bond I'm with her two-year-old. <laughs> so it's About like finding a new job and when having a new felony is going to be um, interesting once I get out. Well, let everybody know where they can go to support you, uh, Felicia. Yeah. I made a give, send, go. I know you said the link will be there. Let Mm -hmm. me look up what it is. I think it's, let's see. And I will put the link just for everybody while she's looking that up. I'll place the link in the description box below. Um, if you'd like to give towards her. Yeah. So Um, it'll be there. Give, send, go dot com backslash felicia one two three okay looking back on it do you regret going to dc would you do you regret supporting that's a hard that's a hard question because um that's a hard question like people well let's just put it this way people ask me that you know do you regret going and you know, to be honest about it, I really don't because I didn't do anything. So I don't regret going to do something that, you know, I don't regret doing something that I didn't do. And yeah, I don't, and I don't regret supporting president Trump. I don't regret, you know, I, I, I just don't because I mean, and, and I can honestly say that, you know, a lot of good things have come into my life since this happened. I have a podcast now. I mean, you know, you're here, you are on this podcast, you know, being able to share your story. So I, yeah. mean, I can't say it's all bad. And, and mine, 
If it was just me, if I was a single adult female, I think I would 100% be like, absolutely the fuck not. Like, I'd show up and I'd stand up for the people that have no voice any day, anytime. But the fact that my innocent child, one at the time and now two children have been caught in the crosshairs of this, like that takes priority over all of it. So that part of me, I would absolutely not. Like if I knew this was the end of that, 100% no, I'd stay home and bake them their favorite dinner. So there's, there's those two sides. I don't, I don't blame you because I could say the same thing. It breaks my heart. I can't watch. It's hard for me to even watch the ring doorbell video when they came to my door and then there's my daughter and saying like, mommy, why are they locking daddy's hands? And then the fact that they're police officers that are holding AR-15s and that this is, this is their experience with a police officer for the first time. Yeah. That I, I completely agree with. And you they know, that. and like you tough. mentioned doing the surveillance, like they know these people, they know that I'm not a bad person. Like they know, they know everything. The The extent of the investigation that they do into, I don't know if they did it into you, but they researched the entirety of my life. There was a, right. from my, yep. like almost fatal accident, the tow truck driver that towed my vehicle in 2020, when that happened, they had his um, ID copy. They have who he pays electric to. They had his credits, like everything, like the extent of the stuff that they looked through and pulled up and went back to is insane. So them knowing that and still showing up with ARs in my face with 20 deep, like blows my mind. And just like you, they investigated you prior to your arrest. They knew who you were and they still did. They knew your children were home. Like they know everything. Everything. And, and they were able to get into my iCloud account and they yeah. were able to, so they're able to read all your personal emails, all your personal private. Oh, texts. there's nothing. I don't know if people know that, but there is nothing. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, your bank account. Like there is not a single thing, your phone records, your phone calls, your text messages for the entirety of it. They right. at a drop of a dime. And I spoke to someone else and they said it's because of these unprecedented un- times that they're able to have such easy access to all of these things. But they know and see everything. There's not a single photo, iCloud account, bank account, email address, phone call that they do not have transcripted and recorded and blasted. Even the guy that that they went to his house that we were with when they first went did the investigation because somebody called on him. Um, anyway, he, he they asked him and he, he started seeing people get arrested and just out of being scared and ignorance, he deleted all out of his stuff from being there because he was afraid. Well, they were they still, still able to get it. it. Yeah. They still, they got it. Yeah. They still got it. So that's why I'm people, I think it's funny when people are like, Oh, write me on telegram. Like, I know it doesn't matter. I said, yeah, the no, same there is thing. no corner of the earth signal, forget go. signal. Even Tucker mm-hmm. just proved signal wasn't worth anything. Whenever the, somehow the uh, NSA was able to hack into his signal when he, they found out he was going to go to Russia to interview Putin. So they, there's nothing. And I don't know. And it kind of like, it's such, it's like common sense to me, but there are still people I'll run into like, Oh, well you, you, sh- I would have done this or like you should write on this or you should use signal. And I'm like, there's, there's no corner of the earth that you could go. My personal diary was seized many mm. of them. And they read in interviews and interrogations because I was interrogated multiple times throughout the prosecution, reread entries, completely unrelated. Those items and stuff they seized from my house, completely unrelated. I'll never see it back. Pages of stuff that they just thought of value and they took. Like, and it's just like they, they would read it back to me, like very intimate entries in my diary of like very traumatic stuff. And they would just be like, hey, did you write this? Let me read it to you. And they'd read it to, I would look at them like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like this has nothing to do with what's going on. This happened years ago. I just want to ensure that this is yours, right? We have these and they'd flip through it and they published a few pages in the news. I don't know how the news got them. Like, Mm. yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's no sense of normalcy. Like I go out places. I uh, try to apply for jobs. And people are like, they don't want, like we spoke about before, they don't even want their hands dirty. Even if they support you, even if they feel so bad for you, they don't want any dirt on their hands. They're like, whoa, this is horrible. I'm so sorry. I don't want my name tied to it. Like, wish the best for you. And and tell everybody who are the ones that have helped you the most. People I don't know. Absolute strangers. Like I, I have a very small circle and I've always prided myself on never asking for help and finding a way and making do for myself, whether that's 
living without electricity or running water, like I'll still make it work. But then there's these people that come from nowhere. When I was pregnant, I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to feed myself. I wasn't able to eat. I wasn't able to leave my house. I was losing weight while growing a baby. And there's people in California that networked and had someone drop off groceries to my house, which blew my mind whilst people I knew my entire life and have always gone above and beyond for would be like, Hey, I just want to check in sucks what you're going through. Like wish you the best. And -hmm. you can't, I, I have no ill feelings towards those people, but it's just very awakening. I don't know what the word is. It's just in it, very intriguing to see because, and it's the people too that are passionate. I've met very passionate people. I wish I was there. I was supposed to be there that day. I would have done this, la, 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 but they do nothing. They do nothing. Or like, thank you for going, but do nothing. So it's, I hold no ill against any people, but I, it's just like sitting here observing, just surviving, trying to survive. I just, it makes, that's just it my, makes you realize who, who, who is, who's with you and who's against you. It really does. I mean, it, it's yeah. sad. It hurt and it's hurtful. That's the thing that sucks for the beginning. It's really hurtful. You yeah. finally get over the hurt and then you realize, well, I don't even want to be your friend. You know, <laughs> are we even friends? Yeah, I was doing, I was doing a trouble. lot for these people. I would self-sacrifice myself a lot to help these people. And then whenever I just needed a character letter or for them to write down a memory they had of me or something, they just be like, Oh, I wish I could. I'm sorry. I'm so busy. Like, like, I'm sorry. I'm it's just funny. trying to get by. I would get people too, that would say, call me. And then they would say, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm just, all, I understand you're going through that. I'm just trying to see how's your family doing. And it's like, okay, so what you're saying is you think that what I did was wrong, but you're worried about my family. You can't say. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> It's and it's hard because I don't judge, so I'm just I just sit there and just. That's how I feel too. I would love. I've seen friends go through a lot of things, and they didn't all of a sudden not become my friend, even if they committed the ultimate crime. I would still be their friend. And at the beginning, I don't know if you experienced. I had a lot of people at the beginning that were like, "You're evil. You're Satan. I hope your children die. Like, do you deserve to rot in hell?" Like, I had people visiting my house physically, and then as time has gone on and it has come out, like I would tell these people, people I've known my whole life, been best friends with been like I didn't do that like that's not what happened and they would see the news and they'd be like I don't know if I can trust you like this is what this the news says and they would they would believe that and then fast forward three years they've come back and been like hey I just wanted to let you know like I'm sorry for not believing you and like this and I'm just like like as I've like suffered and starved and like withered away for three years I'm like and I and I just smile and I say thank you for like finally coming to me but it's just crazy that people that have physically known you had very like deep relations, like been childhood best friends will say like, no, I don't think I could talk to you. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Like, I don't believe you. Like, I don't want to talk about it. You did this. You're a horrible person. And then as soon as the media starts flipping, then they're like, well, actually maybe remember, didn't you say that you actually didn't do that? And I was like, yeah, I pleaded you to, to like still be my friend. And, and so it's crazy to see that switch and like to have an entire like relationship just gone. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is, it is really sad. And I just, it's, it's, it's like, a hard, it is, it is. And that's what you realize. And you know what? There are friends though, that did stick with me and that didn't care and that they did. I can't say that it was everybody, but it was, it was, it was disappointing. That's, that's for sure. Well, Felicia, do you have anything else that you'd like to say before I let you go? I know I kept you for a little while now. Yeah, no worries. Um, nope. I think that's it. I just hope that getting out there and speaking, there's thousands of people that this has happened to. Um, and I've been silent on it out of fear for the last few years because I was not sentenced or prosecuted yet. Um, so anything I could say could be used against me and it still may, they still can, but, um, I just hope that that also helps other people and like, just kind of like open eyes to like what's going on. Like I, like the fact that I have to be ripped away from my infant who's never been away from me, who's still breastfeeding. Like the court knows that, like they know all of these things and they still don't care. So now without jobs, (laughs) without anything, have to plan for them to be stable and okay the entire time I'm going to be in prison. And afterwards, when I'm still confined to my house, when I still have no jobs because of 
a felony that was passed down. Like out of all the things they had misdemeanors and felonies and they dropped all the misdemeanors, but they wouldn't drop the felony, which is just impeding officers or like aiding and abetting because I was near them. Mm. So um, well, I'm trying to I, survive I, and get through I, it still. I definitely encourage everybody, even if you can't give at least say a prayer for her and her family, uh, she goes, through this tough time because we're supposed to all be here for each other. And uh, that's why I wanted to have her come on because I just wanted to let her know there's a community of people out there that are not, you know, all the things that you described and we see what what's going on. I mean, I lived it too, uh, maybe not to the extent that you're having to go through, but I understand the entire process and how it just, it's a tough, it's tough to go through. I mean, it really is. And it's, it, they, they, the way they, the process, they really want to break you financially. They want to break you mentally. They want to break your, I mean, there's been multiple guys that have committed suicide just being under yeah. investigation. Not without well, because at sentenced. the beginning, they, that 36 years, like they, they told me, um, like you'll be locked away in prison and rotten there for 36 years. And I, that was the real case until I pled down and I got very, very lucky because it, even my attorney anticipated over six months in prison guaranteed. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad you didn't get six months. I hear that your son is awake, so I'll, I'll definitely yeah. let you go. But I'm <laughs> so appreciative of you coming on. And everybody, if you can, please go to her, click the link below and go and donate towards her page. Share it as much as you can as well um, to be able to help her out. So anyways, it's like I always tell everybody, the best is I still believe, even though we're going through these ter terrible times, that the best is yet to come. And God bless you guys. And you guys have a great day. Thank you.